You are now listening to Out of the Blank. Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. I'm here with Dustin Bass. How's it going, man? Dustin, tell me a little bit about yourself and if you want what you do professionally. All right. So to start off, uh, what I do professionally is as far as paying the bills, I uh, own a marketing company called Bass Trap Media. Um, obviously, Bass being my last name. Um, and my good friend, Jared Trap. Uh, it's his last name. So Bass Trap Media. We do uh, we do marketing for a number of uh, companies out here in Houston, which is where I live. Actually, I live a little north of Houston, out in the woodlands. Uh, so we're not dealing with a lot of the insanity going on in the Houston Harris County area. But uh, we do a lot of video and photography related stuff. Um, build some websites every once in a while, but we try to strictly stick with the um, the creative side. So yeah, that's the gist of, of what I do professionally. Uh, also a, a, I also do a history show um, called the Sons of History with a good friend of mine called, his name is Alan Joaquin. Uh, we've been doing that for almost two years now. Um, so we do a weekly podcast. You do a podcast. I do a podcast. Everybody's doing a podcast. We, we, uh, we met on podcastmeet.com. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so we do a weekly podcast, obviously based on history, and we take a lot of things that are going on today and give them historical reference. So people can sort of understand like why things are happening the way that they're happening now, or that something that's happening now has actually happened in the past. So because history is doomed to repeat itself. And it seems like anytime we're going through something, if you look in another country, they've already went through the same thing and learned to either overcome it or gotten past that situation. Um, yeah. I mean, history podcasts, that's a, that's a genre of podcast. There's a lot of them out there. There's Dan Carlin's hardcore history, but I think the interest is, is that the type of history that is mostly focused on in these podcasts is kind of the stuff that we really don't get to learn a whole lot about besides the basics in school. I mean, I didn't, uh, with doing my own research with history, like I found out Teddy Roosevelt got one of his eyes. Um, he went blind in one of his eyes from a boxing match while he was president. So I was like, that would have been amazing to learn about that in a textbook rather than learn about, you know, the same things over and over and over and over and over again about like, Oh, this is our 42nd president. This is whatever. That's good to know this basic information, but where's the good deep the detail stuff, the stuff where you're reading yeah. about it, you're like, holy crap, like how is this not taught to us? Yeah. You know, I didn't really have a good history teacher until I got into college. And it was actually history two. My history one teacher was a lady with a she had a certain pitch of a voice that I just couldn't handle. But uh she wasn't very interesting, but there was this one guy. Um, that I had in college and he would do that. He would give little like stories, tidbits to sort of get you interested in what was going on. And there were little tidbits of information that he would insert into the, the grand scheme of things that you're like, wow, that's, that is really interesting. He dressed like he was still 
in the late 70s, early 80s. He had the same hairstyle as somebody that would be from that genre or that era. And he always, always, always had a cup of coffee in his hands while he was teaching. And he just had this funny persona um, that was engaging. It was all his own. He wasn't real lively or anything, but you could tell he knew not just the, the basics of history, but he knew just the little nuances, um, the little things that would get people um, interested. And so some of the, some, some of the stuff that he would bring up, I was like, man, this is, this is really, uh, some pretty fascinating stuff. So it's sort of along the lines of what you're talking about. With I mean, that's what you got to do when you're talking about a topic like history. I mean, for a yeah. lot of people, it's very, very boring to learn about stuff that happens in the past, unless you're spouting out knowledge about the future. Nobody's really paying attention. Like for me, yeah. I had, um, I think 10th grade, we went to this vocational school, which was like a field trip. It took about 30 minute drive from the school to that school in particular. You only get to stay half the day. And my history teacher was named Mr. Bevilacqua. I always called him like a Brad Pitt lookalike because he looked exactly like a Brad Pitt. Like I used to walk and be like, you're a handsome motherfucker. And he just used to look <laughs> at me like, what? But he was the coolest teacher. He made it very engaging for you as a student to be interested in the stuff. Like he was probably yeah. in his early 30s, um, few years of teaching, I think five or six. And it's kind of where they're like raw. They're still kind of new. They're still enjoying engaging with the class. And I get the difficulties behind it. I mean, you have to deal a whole new group of students every semester. So that's basically your teacher teaching all these kids all this information and they're gone they got to redo it all over again it's got to get so old after a while but I remember after see, my birthday is New Year's Eve so on January I think six is when we got back from our uh, Christmas break or something and he came in and all the desks are there's lined up on the left side and they're lined up on the right side so they're basically you're basically staring at a kid in front of you if you're on either side and there's this giant pamphlet on our desk that was 250 pages and he goes this is what we'll be using for the rest of the year we're going to be keep doing little page by page until the rest of the semester is over with everybody's like are you shitting me like this is what our history class every day for an hour and a half is going to be and then he goes all right, I want you to take that first piece of paper. I want you to crumble up and put it to a ball on your desk. After I think about 30 pages deep, there were 30 of those paper balls just sitting on top of everybody's desk. And he goes, now fight. And then he would grab them and start chuck them. So we're chucking them across the class and then we're ducking behind the desk like they're trenches. And this was how he engaged us into learning about the trench war. And it was so freaking smart. And so like, I mean, just engaging when that aspect of things, like he used to put um. He used to talk about the depression and what the people were going through back then, losing their teeth, stuff I would hear from my great-grandfather. And he would put Smarties in his mouth and wear like an old lab coat jacket and then have like one of those, um, you know, those old-timey hats on. He used to come by with a ruler, slam it on your desk, and the Smarties would pop out of his mouth like teeth. And then that would help us get engaged to what was going on. But it was fun. It was an experience. And I think that's what's needed in history. I mean, you know from doing your podcast, how do you get your – your vibe or your sensation to get people to listen to you to stay engaging you can't just be re reading off a wikipedia article right yeah i mean that's the thing is um well with, with our with our podcast like we try to you know bring as much information as possible but he and i like go back and forth like we are we make I'm, I try to make up. Some, I don't make them. I just sort of make it up on the fly. And I think you know, knowledge of pop culture helps. But you know, we're pretty engaging with each other, and we make fun of each other. Um, 
people we have we have a you know a number of jokes that go throughout you know the, the podcast but i think just bringing out how what has happened and how it relates to today i think is probably the most engaging thing because people want to be able to relate to history and i think the best way to make history relatable is to say look this happened 100 years ago but guess what it's happening again right now like and you need to understand that this is not really an anomaly this is something that you have to have your eyes open and understand that this has happened before this the, this was the result do you want that same result or do you want a different result so um and i think what you're what you're pointing at is these teachers that you had loved the subject and i think that you have the public education system which is where 90 percent of students go and there are thousands of schools so if there are thousands of schools across the the us then there are way more teachers and you can just take it to the bank that there are not you know, there's a lot of teachers that are not that interested in what they're doing. They're doing it as a job, um, which is to an extent understandable. But if you don't love the subject that you're talking about, then it's going to reflect in how you teach it. And then it's going to be a direct reflection on those kids' lives. I've got a good friend who is a, an English teacher, ninth grade English teacher. He loves what he does. And his, his students will send him letters at the end of the year talking about thank you mr haygood for what you've done and how you've made my mind open to blah 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 right they'll they'll send it like after they graduate high school and talk about how he impacted their lives but he also has people on his team that he's like they don't like what they do and it shows with their students and and how and how their students are, are learning or not learning and i think that that's just an, an incredibly important thing because this is something that you experienced and years later, you still remember it. And the same with me, like if I had a good teacher, like the boring teacher that I mentioned, I don't remember anything that she ever said. I remember the pitch of her voice, but that's about it. I remember the way that she looked, but you know, there was nothing really that interesting that she said that really was like, man, this is something that's gonna stick. And I think it's really important that you love what you do. All the teachers that ever stuck out in my mind are these the ones that didn't give up on me because I mean I was a I was a hell hellish kid I I, I had ADHD trying to get me to sit down was like it's not happening but mm -hmm. um most of them were history teachers surprisingly I didn't get any really old history teachers I got a lot of young ones especially shout out to Miss Metty I don't know where she's at in the world but thank God if she wasn't so hot I probably wouldn't know as much as I do about the Oregon Trail okay. Yeah. But I mean, it's information like that that sinks in too. But when you're talking about doing history and you're seeing how it correlates to what's affecting us now, what exactly do you mean? What do you, what, what, what has happened in the past that is strictly relatable to what's happening now? So you, I think this is a prime uh, example with the, like the COVID-19 situation, right? You have tyrannical governments that are, doing whatever it is that they want to and this is not simply in other parts of the country um you have hungary siberia the philippines um even south korea even israel that are taking really extreme methods um and measures to protect 
their society, protect their people. And it's under the guise of we're trying to do what is best for you. Um, and so people are being forcibly pushed into their homes. Um, they are being tracked. Um, and it's, it's interesting that, you know, a lot of people will be like, well, that's over there in those countries. That's sort of the way that they do things to an extent. And yeah, to an extent that's true. Um, there has been since, you know, World War II, there's been sort of this push of, okay, let's try to get more people to be, you know, more democratic. Well, there are a lot of countries that are, are trying or have been trying democracy, but it's a very fragile thing. Um, it is something that their country was not based on, unlike ours. Um, and so those things are sort of falling apart. Um, and I think there are two really good examples of what's going on. And you can sort of put it right back at the doorstep of World War II. But even right now, like Hungary and Siberia, um, I mean, Serbia, um, those two countries right now, their leaders have conducted these states of emergencies, which is sort of, it sidelines parliament. Um, it really gets all the power to themselves. And they're able to institute fines and imprisonment um, and not just like like 180 day you know, jail time if you break quarantine. We're talking like five to eight years in prison um, if you break quarantine. Uh, South Korea has created a, a GPS system, a government mandated GPS system that will track you and punish you if you get out of line, if you break quarantine. Now let's bring that to the states. In the states, you've got governments and um, local authorities like district judges that are putting out these edicts, and that's how they are sort of running things. That's how they are saying, you are going to do this, you're going to do that. And these edicts, which are not passed by even state legislation, they are strictly a judge or a mayor or a governor that's saying this is an executive order. So we are going above and beyond what our state actually has already put into place. And it also goes above and beyond what's in the Constitution, in the Bill of Rights. And you can see this happening in tons of states. We know that the churches, like the houses of worship, you can't go there. Okay, you can't go there. And so that goes strictly against the First Amendment, right? So the and then you can't you can't assemble. So you've got states that are actually saying, like in Raleigh, North Carolina, this is probably a month ago. Because remember, when all this took place, it was like, okay, two weeks, just 14 days, and then we're gonna get back to normal. Well, it's been two months. And anyone who thought that the two weeks thing was actually going to be the case, it's very naive to think that because as Milton Friedman and Thomas Sowell have always said, it's like, look, the only good thing that government is, is actually good at is expanding, is expanding their power. Um, there is rarely a retraction unless, unless the people like say, okay, that's enough. And then they retract. Um, well, well, it's, a, it's, a, it's a flex. You're saying a lot of good, important things. I just want to hop in here real quick with the fact yeah. is like, I podcasted a long time ago, I think episode 200 something with a rabbi, 
And he was, I was, I've been spouting for so long because people are always complaining about Trump. And I was like, the reason why like you're seeing uh, religion not be as powerful as it used to be is because we have a lot of millennials. We have a lot of, of immigrants that are coming over here. So Christianity and being Catholic is not the dom that it was way back in the day when it used to be so powerful. But there's two things I've always spouted about that the government was always afraid of. And when I say government, People look at it like these anti-secret society, angry forces. The government's not the issue. What's the issue is the motherfuckers that we have in the government because the government is red, white, and blue. It's what it's meant to stand for. But the problem is we've put people in office that have gotten away with getting, you know, budget budget things, you know, getting more money in their pockets. And I've always spouted that there's always two things that they were always afraid of, religion and the people. Abraham Lincoln said it best, the house divided cannot stand. We saw them never touch religion. When I was podcasting with this rabbi, I told him that it's becoming to the point where I feel like government's going to start impeding on religion because now we've seen, especially today, religion is probably at its weakest point. There's going to be the hardcore people, especially now during this pandemic situation, you're seeing them try to turn to that. But for the majority of people now, it's non like, you know, non-religious, you know, they don't know what's out there just because it's you know, the, the, the family values have changed back when you were a kid compared to when I was growing up might have been, um, you know, your family have been like, let's go to church or let's pray at home. Let's do whatever. For me, it was like no parents were home to have that situation because they're working their ass off trying to make sure they can afford a house because of the economy. So when religion gets thrown out of the mix, it became weak. Not even a week after I talked to that guy, tell him about this. He was telling me he doesn't think so. He doesn't believe me. I don't understand. No, it doesn't make any sense. Four priests were arrested at the Vatican. Now, taking the Vatican aside and looking at it like why the why is it, is it, is it its own country? Let's look at the fact that now you're seeing churches get taken down. You're seeing people not able to go to church. You're either going to see them all turn to religion being like, all right, because somebody's telling them they can't. You're starting to notice with this pandemic that we're very, very easily controlled and very, very under a thumb of power here, not as free as we might have originally thought. And now people are coming together. In New Jersey, there was a gym that opened up. Cops came, served them papers, telling them they got to shut down. They said, no, we're going to stay open and continue business. The next day they came back, arrested everybody inside of the gym. People were rioting out front, telling the cops, you're, you know, you're disgusting, you're all these stuff. Now they're starting to realize, like, we got to let go of the reins a little bit. So mm -hmm. today, my town has opened up. We have an increase of 2,500 cases of COVID since last weekend when we opened up for two days. Now we're permanently opening businesses back up because people are just freaking fed up. Yeah. It works for a while. You know, the government tells you we're doing this for your safety. You say two weeks. Everybody was loving our governor, Hogan. And then they started realizing, holy shit, I can't afford my bills. I can't get my unemployment. I can't get anything. And now they want him impeached. They want him out of office. And they're realizing how much of a dumbass he is. And I say, it's not his fault. You got to understand one thing is that we're under this flex of a government that tries to, you know, like, hey, if we tell you to do this, it's for your safety. It's all a disguise. It's all a ruse. It's like, stand up and realize how limited your powers actually are. I'm not trying to spout off like an anarchist here, but this yeah. is why I've always had a problem with authorities. The fact is, we're going to see anarchy happen again. We're going to see those riots in 1972 or whatever um, that the freaking sublime always sung about you know <laughs> that uh people starting to fight and starting to steal shit because people are gonna get to a point where it's like let me fucking live my life again stop putting me in a home and telling me i can't go or you're gonna threaten me with jail time yeah you're gonna you end up pushing people to a, a point of one desperation but also outright 
rage. And if you combine those two, you get the anarchy. You get the actual physical, sometimes violent push against government, which I'm I'm not for. I'm not for that. But the thing is, is like the government will always push, 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 push unless there is a like a stopping point where the where people are like, no, you can only go so far. And it's great to hear that people in New Jersey are actually doing that. Um, and you've had protests throughout, you know, the country in various places. But it's like they're even in New York City, uh, de Blasio has said protests are, are not allowed right now. And it's like, if you can't protest, then that is also against the First Amendment. You, it's the freedom to peaceably assemble and to conduct a redress of grievances against the government. And if you're not allowed to do that, then your executive order at this small citywide level has now superseded what is the law of the land across all 50 states. You can't go against it. So I know the DOJ is supposedly going to be backing a, a number of these cases to say, look, these governments, these, these governors, mayors, judges have superseded the, the, the law of the land and they have, they've infringed on people's rights. Um, and the thing is, is like the court system that was made so that we individually could say, all right, government or whoever, but in this case, government, we're taking you to court. We are suing you because of what you've done. And yet when you can't pay your bills and I've got friends who are like, just stay at home, stay safe. And it's like, look, eventually that's not what is happening. That's not what is taking place. The government, and I'm not anti-government, and I think you, you alluded to that point as well. The Founding Fathers put together the most incredible form of government known to man. And it wasn't that none of these ideas had actually, nobody had ever thought of them. But what they did was they took the best ideas from the past couple of thousand years and instituted it. The democracy of, of, of Greece, the, the Senate of Rome, um, more or less the, the law of the Jews, and then also um, parliament within, um, within Britain. Well, there's a difference between tyranny and democracy. I mean, I was surprised when I came home and a family member of mine was like, oh, you're not going to be able to leave the house. We're going to be on lockdown. You have to stay inside your home. I was like, I don't know a lot about the Constitution, but I know for a fact that's against our constitutional rights of being forced inside of our homes and not able to leave. I know that is a fact of what our forefathers fought for and wrote down on a piece of paper to make sure that that did not happen. The fact that like, well, there's a big issue in my town at one point because they said no cursing on our popular attraction known as the boardwalk, which is like a nice scenic, like two and a half mile thing of boards with carnival games and stuff on. It's supposed to be a family experience. You can't tell people not to curse. You can say, can you please not? That's the way you can do it. But the way they put up signs initially in the beginning was no cursing, fine if you curse. That became a very big issue that was taken to the courts immediately. Now we're seeing with people, you can't go to court because they're not open. 
Nobody's open. I'm, I've had a medical case that I've been trying to get appealed for the past since January. Um, I had to keep going back and forth. And finally, they told me I need to do this thing and take this prescription for two and a half months. And then I'll qualify for the real medication. So finally, that happened. Guess what? That was in March. You know what happened? COVID hit. Next thing I know, all courts are shut down. It's now today, the guy just called me and said, they're finally starting to open up the courts again. So we can actually look at your case. I'm like, where were you two and a half months ago? It's been 26 days since I took a shit. I need the fucking actual shit. You know what I mean? Like it's, 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 it gets to a point where, I mean, personal problems aside, but the fact is they're doing some things that I think people now that they're starting to realize how limited their powers are, it's waking us up a little bit. Not only in the factor that you're being confined to your home and you're realizing where you're at in your life, like, holy shit, I've worked 30 years under a boss and I have nothing for myself. I never started a business. I never did any of my dreams or passions because I wanted to be safe. It's also waking people up to be like, wow, I literally have no say if a cop wants to just come in here and take me out of my fucking home. Right. And it's it's interesting that you, you mentioned your court case. I drove down to Houston to downtown yesterday because I was to be a witness in, in a criminal court case. Um, and so I got there and when I was there trying to figure out what was going on, the DA called me and he said, actually we're, we're pushing everything to like August or September. The judges aren't doing anything because of COVID-19. I was like, all right, well, thanks for, you know, thanks for, (laughs) thanks for letting me know. But I said, it, it reminds me of something somebody said that somebody would be Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, as a justice delayed is justice denied. And that's what's happening right now. And the worrisome part is that so many Americans are seemingly fine and not just seemingly fine, but are almost acting as if they are within the government acting on the government's behalf. I mean, when certain counties were like hey if a bit and this has happened in harris county which is one of the largest counties in the u.s um this is in houston they said if you see a business that isn't they're not abiding by the the guidelines or if they are open and they shouldn't be here's a here's a hotline that you can call to to tip them off China has that the social it's the social credit, man. That's I did a podcast on this, a freaking, I was a guest on a podcast and a guy shot me. um, His name is Robert Solomon. who does like this uncanny earth. He talks about like some ancient stuff. Shout out to him. But, uh, he had me on there and he was like, I want you to research China's social credit us uh, thing. And I was like, what's this? And then I started realizing like there's people snitching on other people uh, to the government so they can get paid if they're not doing or abiding by regulations. So they look good. You're based on your social standing as in, if do you obey the government? Do you pay your taxes? Do you do all this? It can revert you from getting a college loan. It can get you, get your house taken away from you. If you don't follow these rules and regulations. And I'm like, that's the same shit that's going on now. My neighbor just called the cops on my other neighbor for not abiding by the six foot rule and being outside without a mask. I'm like, hold on a second. Hold on. What are we doing here? Like, these are people that we live right beside with and you're calling the government. What are the government going to do? Give to you. They're not going to give you money. They've never, ever, ever said that. What are you expecting? All you're doing is you're ruining somebody else's life. You're making it harder and you're just creating conflict. But that's all we have because it's the reason why Jersey Shore was so fucking popular. If you don't have conflict in your everyday life, you will go anywhere to find it. 
You need that fix in the day. You can last maybe a day without it, but you will go home, turn on a, a reality television. That's what that whole thing's about. That fighting, that love, whatever it is. You like seeing that combativeness on the TV. So now people being stuck inside their homes all day, not getting interaction with the world, not getting that, oh, I hit a fucking red light. That little small conflict, they're now searching for it and trying to create it with their neighbors. Yeah. And it plays right into what was, what is, you look at the 20th century, the bloodiest century, the bloodiest century ever. It was the bloodiest century. It was more bloody than the previous 19 put together, right? You had World War I, World War II, and then all the other wars that, that took place uh, and other uprisings. What was happening in those countries? What was happening in, in the Soviet Union? What was happening in Nazi Germany? What was happening in, in, and, and Mao's China, they were telling on each other. They were saying, this person is a Jew, or this person is against the, the, the communist government. This person, like we are, and, and we want to say that, oh, no, 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 we're just, you are doing the same exact thing, but you're trying to put it in a different picture, in a completely different light. Like, no, 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 you are doing the same exact thing. And eventually the government is going to request something more of you. And if you're already doing this without a gun to your head, what are you going to do when they say there will be a gun to your head? You'll do anything. And that's the scary thing is life is full of slippery slopes. You make one decision. There's a good chance that you'll make an even worse decision. And you think that it's a better decision. And that's where we are right now. Like, History is repeating itself at a very rapid pace right now. And it's not so much that people can't see it. They just choose to ignore it. What have you um, heard about the Stanford prison experiment? I know that, that the documentary came out on Netflix and a lot of people shit on it. I don't know if you are familiar with that one. I, I'm not that familiar with it. I think I've heard about it, but. They took about like maybe I think it was 12 people, um, six and six. And what they did was they would uh, have guards and six of them were prisoners. And, but they were regular people. They were just doing a case study. It was supposed to show that when you were given a badge of authority without actually having any authority, how quickly would you assume your role? So these people were like, you're going to act like prison guards. We're going to give you the uniform. They know you're other people doing the same experiment. So everybody's getting paid. They all know it. They're all just split up into different categories. So the other guy that's dressed up as a prison guard knows he is a another per, random civilian off the street just getting paid $200 per week that they're involved in this thing. So after a while, like, you know, you can't hit the people. You can't do any of this stuff. They started breaking the rules. The, they were doing lunchtime, just like prison. They'd be like, you sit down, eat 30 minutes. Some of the guys would immediately assume into their position, like, get the fuck on the ground, start throwing shit and not actually hitting the people, but starting to assume that authoritative badge role. And a lot of them were trying to be cool. And, you know, a lot of them acted like prisoners, didn't really give a shit. And then eventually people were losing their freaking minds. They would take you and push you in a thing called the hole. And it was just a closet with a hole in it, literally, just to look out of so you could see. But you were just shoved in there. There were people that started, like, having mental breakdowns, started screaming and crying. Eventually, they, they would rip off clothes off people and have them naked and beat the shit out of them with a police baton. And the guys couldn't interfere with the experiment, the scientists. But after 
like 58 hours or something. The dude's sitting there and he starts hearing people scream on the camera, little hidden cameras everywhere. They're like, get me the fuck out of here. People started leaving. People started um, trying to sue. It was known as a failed experiment, but it shows what happens. If I dressed you up in a cop uniform right now and I didn't tell anybody you weren't a cop, Everybody just would assume that you are a cop. You're going to see people that are going to act differently around you. At the same time, with that authority, you could easily be like, hey, do this. And that if someone does it, eventually you start getting a very, very high thinking standing of yourself and you start forcing people to do things. Then you start seeing combative people like myself, in, including that would be like, I'm not going to fucking lie on the floor for you. What are you talking about? Like that eventually leads. And that's where we start seeing crime rates happen. People randomly getting shot is because you're to the same level as me. You just have a badge and then you start acting in, in ways you shouldn't be acting and it eventually does happen i've talked to cops that talk about like it's hard to get that out of your head sometimes you, you get this glorified view because you get a praise every single day it's the same reason if you're giving your dog a treat every day and you stop he comes to you like where the fuck's my treat i mean that experiment they say <laughs> i guess they said it, it failed but that's that's a successful experiment because it, it it just demonstrates human nature um i mean human nature can be seen and i think the i believe that the bible is the most extensive study on human nature uh from beginning to end and i think that you can easily pretty much put it in a uh, in a microcosm or really the garden of eden is a microcosm of human nature what happened there and then right after um, but, you know, I think it was Lord Acton who said, you know, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And that is that is what happens when you give somebody a small amount of power. They don't act just, you know, typically within that small amount. They always seem to go above and beyond. And that's not saying that there are you know no good cops out there. There are a lot of good cops, but you have to keep in mind that there are a enough amount of bad cops out there who took their power too too much they, they, they do too much with their power they become tyrannical um that even if it's 10 percent or five percent that's still too much right um and here's here's a little bit of a correlation right here so james otis was one of the beginning uh he was one of the guys that was part of the revolution he was, you know, this was before the revolution actually started, but this was when King George III started passing all these laws, right? And James Otis was like, finally, he's like, I'm, I'm done with working for the British government. We've had enough. And he wrote a paper on the writs of assistance. And what that was was more or less, um, they have, is like a warrant um, that they could the, the lowest level of an officer could go into anyone's home and just start searching and looking around and trashing the place. Even, even if what they were looking for was just something that they made up in their mind, they said, this is what I'm looking for. They could go on, on your boat, into your house, destroy the place, it doesn't matter. And that was something that he said, you are making every petty officer into a tyrant. This is what the power that that gives. Now let's go from, I think like 1760 to today. The House of Representatives has on the floor, I don't know the process or the progress that it's made yet, but this is something that's pretty, um, pretty famous right now is the TRACE Act, the HR 
the number is just so bizarre. HR 6666. So whatever. Okay. Um, but the Trace Act is, a, it would allow the government to hire and train volunteers to conduct these COVID-19 tests. And not only that, but take the person and then also trace or track who they've been in contact with. And it's like, look, we've got enough crazy people out there who if you give them a little bit of power, they go nuts. Can you imagine all of a sudden you're hired by the government and in mass amounts, how many people would take that information and that power to the extreme to start tracking people down who supposedly have COVID-19 and tracking people down who have contacted people who had COVID-19. Immediately, I heard the radio. Um, they used to talk about like if um, you know we're doing precautions. It was like a stores thing. It was like we're doing precautions to uh, reduce the spread of COVID virus. If you are susceptible or if you are found with one of our testing that you do have COVID, you'll be escorted to an outside tent. And immediately, I think old fucking Yeller, like taking them out back with a shotgun and shooting them. I'm like, what are they doing to those people out back? Like, I mean, are, are you're testing them, you're doing something, but you're doing something else to them. You got to handle them a little bit completely different. And the way we're looking at it now. Now it's like the same thing with the walking dead before that infection spread carol whatever carol burned the bodies or whatever it's the same thing i said at the beginning when they started shutting everything down this is the probably one of the worst things you can do because it's only going to slow the spread switzerland or sweden whatever had an idea of just letting people do whatever and now they're kind of paying for it after we saw that it worked but at the same time it's like People are going to go and travel. People are going to this. This thing literally has to run its course until we can find a vaccine. You can tell people to stay the fuck home until we have that. But eventually people are going to fight back out of it. Now they're talking about passing a new stimulus bill where every, once this all gets solved every year or every month for a year after this is all over with, they're going to give you a thousand dollars. I'm like, so many people are making so much bank off unemployment. If you get it, if you get it. Like uh, <laughs> you're you're going to have um, uh, I want to hit on on what you were saying uh, with 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 the pushback um, and uh, unfortunately now I I think I've lost my train of thought on this. Um, Welcome to Out of the Blank Podcast. <laughs> and now my I am in the blank. There you go. Um, well, I, I wish that I, I could remember what I was going to say. It was, it was along those lines. Oh, I know what I was going to say. What should have happened? And, and here's what the government more or less said immediately. We don't, and you, this is going back to your point at the very beginning of religion and the people. They don't trust the people. They don't trust the people to make their own decisions. And look, I, I would be amiss if I said that there aren't a lot of ignorant or stupid people out there. There are, that's just society. That's how it has always been. But you still have to allow people to make their own decisions. If people want to be locked inside of their house for months on end, that is their choice. If they want to wear gloves or a mask, wherever they want to go, that's their choice. It is just so bizarre to me that the government said, we are taking the decision-making process away from you and we're going to do it for you. And people are like, all right, that's fine. 
and I, I was talking to a neighbor the other, you know, right when it right when it passed, right? Right when this whole shutdown took place. Uh, and I was like, welcome to Cuba. And you know, she's like, Oh, it's it's not gonna be that bad, you know, blah blah blah. And I'm like, what are you talking about? It's not gonna be that bad. Families like, won't even hug their families anymore, man. Like I tried to hug a family of mine. A, a old, I think it was like my second aunt or something. She's elderly, but she was like, no, 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 no. And she would like push me away. I was like, what are you doing? I was like, the government is now like, if you think about it, is it a test? Like, will you listen to us over your family? Will you forget those ties, those connections? And I had people yelling at me about it, telling me that I'm in the wrong. And I'm like, how am I in the wrong? This is what I've been born and raised to do. Love your family, love thy neighbor, all that stuff. Well, that's being tested right now. And they're starting to see that government's like, well, we do got a firm grasp, but I'm not as firm as we like it. You know, I don't want to sound anarchy, but I mean, if you start taking it, it's like you start looking at stuff. It's like, did I accidentally get slipped the blue pill? Did I accidentally just wake up from something that I've been realizing has been pretty messed up for a long time? And I think the only reason people didn't really notice it was because we were either so busy, but also the fact that it worked. Like we didn't, we didn't see any issues until now when stuff started falling apart. And you realize that safety net, that badge that's supposed to be there to protect you isn't really there as much as you like, I guess you would might want to think. Yeah. Hey. No, I mean, the thing is, is like, that was something that, so I, I do some writing for the Epic Times. Um, uh, and one of the, the pieces that I put together was, we have shown our cards to the government. It did not require martial law. It did not require cops, you know, you know, the gun to the head scenario. All it was, was, Here's what we're going to do. And the American people complied with it on one, just about 100%. And it more or less, as much as people will tell you, if you ask them, because I ask them pretty often, like, do you trust the government? And the immediate response is always no, they don't trust the government. And yet when the government said, stay in your house, don't come out. Trust us. Everybody was like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> it's like, and so we relinquished all of our rights, all of them, the right to peaceably assemble, the, you know, the right to, to express our, our religion, you know, our the freedom of expression, um, the right to conduct a redress of grievance to our government, the, you know, the, the whole equal protection clause in the 14th amendment, that's null and void because look at, you know, Walmart, Target, you know, the grocery stores, all these places get to remain open. Small businesses, no, you don't get to remain open. Do you think uh, that's a conspiracy though? Like if you start looking at it, like um, I think a week before COVID hit, I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but I talked to a stockbroker and um, I was like, as a joke, one of the safest stocks you could probably buy into would be the toilet paper stock because it never goes up and it never goes down. Then COVID hit and you saw that stock go way up. So I'm like, maybe I predicted that. But then, 
when we start looking at like um, when the stimulus checks came out, what happened was before the toilet paper got super huge and that was going to be a big thing that people wanted to buy was the news release that there was a shortage on toilet paper. Then that's why everyone started stocking up onto it. Then two days before we got our stimulus checks, there was a message in the news that said that red meat there was a shortage of. Next thing you know, people spent that stimulus check that was supposed to help you pay your bills on a lot of red meat. I knew people that I had warned not to do that and they went and did it. Next, you know, they're really complaining about not having the money for bills after that money ran out. So we're seeing now is now there's a, some news and some talk, which probably when this episode released, it either is going to be relevant or it's not. And that's going to be the fact that cigarettes are now supposed to cure COVID. And the reasoning behind that does make a little bit of sense with the fact that the tar from the cigarettes uh, makes sure COVID doesn't stick to your lungs. That makes sense that cigarettes are so bad, it's not gonna let this infectious disease, it's gonna kill you with something like a cancer. But on the lines of cigarette stocks have plummeted since the fact that we told everybody that if you smoke, you're more likely to get COVID. The numbers went down. I mean, cigarettes dropped from $7 a pack here to two ninety six. And that's because nobody was buying any. So now we're, I guarantee you, we're going to see a spike in cigarette increases if this gets passed, that cigarettes actually going to help with COVID. Yeah. Look, the, the media has not helped this situation, but they haven't been helpful for a very long time. So um, I, I, steer, I steer clear of, to an extent, conspiracies, but once all all the evidence more or less starts pointing to one direction, it's no longer a conspiracy. It's more or less, this is what is happening. Um, and you can either look at the evidence, you can look at what's happening, or, or you, you cannot. Um, I think that the, the media also is very much, and not just media, like media outlets, but also social media platforms. I mean, you, you definitely know what's going on with like YouTube and Facebook and they are shutting down anybody who is dissenting, all right? And, yeah, and, Joe Rogan just switched to Spotify, and that's that's a big thing. $100 million to, uh, Spotify paid him to switch over. He's done with YouTube because the rules and regulations have gotten insane. I can't talk to a person that's under the age of 18. I can't, you know, certain things, anything that gets mentioned with COVID gets immediately looked over a thousand times before it's approved. Yeah, and and – and Instagram and Facebook, obviously Instagram owned by Facebook, but they they just came out and said, like, we are suppressing any posts, any information that has COVID-19 coronavirus in it. Um, and it's only going to be our recognized health organizations. I could go nuts on the whole situation with the, the ties between the Chinese Communist Party and the World Health Organization. Um, like that whole debacle is extreme. Um, but World Health Organization is what these, you know, YouTube and Facebook, that's what they are. They are blasting their message out. And it's interesting. Once when Trump said, look, we are going to be withdrawing our funding from the World Health Organization, I think maybe a week later, maybe less, Mark Zuckerberg said we are going to give the world health organization all the free advertising that they need and it's like here you have an organization that is it, it conflict of interest is putting it mildly you have a massive conflict of interest here 
and they were listening. They were more or less just reiterating or regurgitating what the CCP was telling them, more or less telling them what to say. And they were saying it. And then also at the same time, praising the process of how the CCP was going to try. They were trying to control the, the outbreak. It's like, you obviously see, and look, the, the guy, Dr. Um, Tedros, who is over the WHO, is a communist or what is a former communist uh, in Ethiopia. And so uh, it's interesting, like Robert F. Kennedy Jr., like in a recent interview on valuetainment, which is you know, a great podcast. I'm, I'm sure you've, you've run across that. But he, the guy was like, at the end, he's like, okay, I'm going to give you some names. You come up with, uh, with one one word or one phrase to, to describe the person. And he said, Dr. Tedros, and he said, war criminal. And it's like, you look into that guy's history and it's pretty self-explanatory. And that is, that's who we're listening to and not just who we're listening to, but that's who we're being forced to listen to because everybody is on social media and social media has become more or less this method of communication. I mean, look at how we're communicating. We're doing this via social media. That is our means of communication nowadays. It's not strictly texting and, or, or just a phone call. We don't write letters anymore, right? Um, this is our source of communication, which is being suppressed or completely shut down. Censorship is at its all-time high. People like uh, Joe Rogan are flipping out for good reason. And it needs to be understood like, what you thought you you had, what you thought was yours, is no longer yours unless you're willing to fight for it. And that's the great thing about America is like we're we're the country that will freaking fight uh, for the right, not just a party, but you know for just our rights to to live. I'm glad you said that because I immediately when you started saying fight for your right, I was like, yeah, I <laughs> but uh, it's what what would you um I guess expect like with like everything opening back up or just this whole COVID situation within the next month or next two months, what do you see happening here? Do you see people are going to start revolting a little bit? Do you see something's going to be created by the government? Um, I always notice that whenever the government starts getting the people, I guess, rised up against it, um, they do the same thing that they did. Like they just try and distract our attention when they were dealing with this stuff going on in Afghanistan or either it was Afghanistan or Iraq. Um, PETA, the people that do the animal protection, had fought against them and started picking up and uncovering a lot of shady shit that, that we were doing over there. And what the government passed to give PETA a win in their book is in their opinion was to take the animals off the animal crackers behind, that were behind bars to take the bars off. So now they're open and free on the animal crackers. And PETA was like, we won, we beat the government, we did this. And the government's like, that's a small battle and a giant war that we don't want you anywhere coming close to figuring out what we're doing. So with this COVID situation, people staying inside their homes, I'm like, is it a possibility that the government's working on something else? And to think that now they're starting to notice that people are fighting back and all this stuff's going on. And there's a huge possible chance of riots happening, people freaking out and busting stuff open because they're just sick of the government. Do you think that there's might be a chance of a spark up of, I'm not saying an Illuminati type organization, but a secret society more on the lines of like, we need to fix everything we fucked up with this COVID thing. We need to start doing and putting all these things in the works. Cause I mean, people always talk about the Illuminati is not real, all these types of things. I'm like, 
might not be as much as we thought it was back in the day, but I think it was a lot more secretive back in the day. I think there actually was something and it just kind of faded away or turned into something else more in the lines of politics. I think that at this point, when I look back at JFK's speech, the one that everyone remembers about him, um, you know, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind or whatever. There's also something in there where he was talking about a shadow society where he was like to think that there is not a shadow, you know, my JFK impression. But, um, (laughs) but it's like, we look at that, like to think, would this be a possible chance for a re-sparking of something like that again, to really get something that we don't even realize that we think we're winning and there's something else in the background that's working around it and making us really just fall back in the line again because I do see us going back to the way we were before. It's going to take a long time, but I've been in some near-death experiences and that shit lasts basically two weeks or so depending on how severe it is. You're like, oh my God, I love life. Life is beautiful. It's grand and great. My life is true. That lasted two weeks and I was back to killing three 20 ounce Red Bulls for breakfast. So (laughs) I'm just saying it's going to take maybe a month or two, but then people are going to go right back to their old ways. And I feel like that's a, it's a time for us to wake up and realize how free you actually are. Yeah. Um, the, that's, there's a lot there. I want to try to hit on, hit on all of it as much as possible. Um, so the government, the government is always going to, going to push this far the people will finally push and push back a little bit but the government's already gained up this much ground so they, they've gained ground and that's pretty much the only thing that they're looking for um do i think that there is something bigger going on yes i i, I do think that there is something bigger going on there's always uh i think it was winston churchill who first you know said this was never let a let a crisis go to waste uh, and crisis legislation is not really something that's the legislation is typically not written in the moment that the the, the crisis has taken place. And you can reference the USA Patriot Act, the, the most big recent uh, piece of legislation that took place. Or you can just go to the recession um, in 2008 when the legislation was passed there. But let's go to the USA Patriot Act. When that when that was passed, at no point in time would that have been passed until you had a massive catastrophe, which is obviously 9-11. That bill was passed like a month after the, the, the 9-11 attack. You're telling me that this bill that was like 600 pages long was not in the works already before all this took, before 9-11 took place? You're telling me that they just came up with that post 9-11 within a within a month span? Yeah, it was it's a little bit too solid compared to like stuff that we do create on the fly, like Sharknado. Word. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's a fucking train wreck. <laughs> maybe, maybe one of the greatest movies of, of our generation. Um, so you are going to have this crisis legislation where something is going to be passed. And like you just go to the trace act. If something like that is passed and you're telling me, look, here's another thing, right? When the, the first stimulus bill, the cares act, uh, was proposed. So Mitch McConnell proposed that bill. And this was like two weeks after, um, the shutdown. Uh, and this included like, I think the $1,200 checks, the, the first initial $1,200 checks. I think it was like 267 pages long. 
Nancy Pelosi counters that with a 1,400-page bill. And so they have all kinds of stuff in this bill. And I, I, I think it may have been the senator from your state who said this, but he was saying now is the time for us to get a lot of the stuff passed that we could have never gotten passed. Well, they ended up compromising on an 880-page bill, right? There's a lot of stuff in there. Um, it's interesting that a lot of small businesses went out of business, but the Kennedy Center got its $25 million. Um, that's just a, a small complaint. So you have these bills and, you know, these, these spending bills, they're typically about a thousand pages long. Um, and we pass these on a pretty much an annual basis. Um, since 1989, there's been about 2.2 million pages added to the federal registry. Uh, we don't know how many laws are in the books. This is the same case that's going to be taking place. So yeah, there is something bigger taking place and it is more government control. Without a doubt, that's what it is. Now, because of what has taken place with this situation, it's unprecedented, not just national, but global shutdown, um, a lot of eyes are opening to what is going on. And with this, you must stay at home. There are people who have a lot of time on their hands. And I don't think everyone is binging on Netflix. You can I think, only jack off so many times, dude. Trust me. Exactly. You know, you, you're not just, you know, sitting there like in this stupefied mindset. A lot of people are starting to do a lot of research and looking into stuff and coming to the realization like, man, uh, things are definitely not what they seem. So I think that there is a bit of an awakening taking place within the American people that are saying, okay, we've got to make some changes and we've really got to push back. You've got, a, you've got an election coming up and there are a lot of weird propositions that are being brought forth. The, the Mellon voting, that was, that was being presented right in the off onset of this COVID-19. I mean, you are in March, the election is in November, and you're already predicting that the population of the nation needs to mail in their votes. Like that is something very odd uh, to even present when you are practically six, eight months away they're also predicting the fact with the second wave that's apparently supposed to hit us of this COVID situation is going to be the roughest one of them all. Yeah. And I'm like, I, 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 I've never really heard of anything coming back for a second wave, at least changing or adapting that quickly in a year, not even in a year span, but in a couple months span. Mm -hmm. But that's what they're predicting. I'm like, are you now telling people to freak out even more and start spending even more money? Right. No, that's exactly what they're wanting to do. If you can create fear, then you can create you can create the narrative that people will go along with. You can establish the decisions that they will make the decisions that you want them to make. You know, the H1N1 flu, you know, during the Obama administration, it's like 60 to 90 people got infected. 60 to 90 million people got infected in the U.S., not globally, just in the U.S. And were we shutting things down? No. So, yeah, it just points to that there is something bigger going on. And I hope that the American people 
look, you, you're seeing it all over, all over the country, even in red state, Texas and super blue state, California, where people are just pissed off at their government and saying, we're not going to be taking this anymore. So I don't know what's going to go on in the upcoming election, but I think that there are going to be a lot of politicians who are going to be knocked out of office. I think we're going to probably end up keeping Trump in office only just because of the fact is we've had so much drastic change happen to us in like the past month or so that we, even though we hate him, he's not new. We know what he is. We know how to deal with him. We've done with it for so long now that they don't want to take a risk on somebody new. So he'll just stay in office. I mean, if we look at every single president, the ones that are really loved and true, the ones that we always talk about being the best presidents are ones that were assassinated or didn't get to fulfill their full term. But if you look at during their term, we had so many fucking complaints about them. It wasn't even funny. Every A lot of people hated JFK. A lot of people hated Reagan. But then you look at back at now our history books, you know, and then we start looking at like, oh, he was such a great president. It was like because it always can be worse. People talk trash on Obama. People still do it. But if you look at it, he's a lot better than the guy we got now. It's going to be the same thing down the line. Do you want Joe Biden being your president? I don't know. Apparently, he says he has dementia or something. So it all falls down a line of, as people, we like to be comfortable. We like to find things that simulate or look anything like us. It's the same thing when we go with experimenting on other people. We experiment in other countries because they don't look anything like us. Because looking like us, being like us, acting like us is comfortable. And we like comfortability. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we like we like things that are, that are familiar to us. And I think at the same time, um, I, I, I think that, that Trump will be reelected as well. Um, and I think that one of the, one of the things that I think is somewhat endearing him to the American public, if, if a term of, if endearment can be attributed to president Trump, but the media hates him so much and a ton of the American people hate the mainstream media. And so you're seeing this in a grand scale. I think the last Gallup poll to poll Americans, their trust in the, the media. I think it is, uh, I think 69% of Democrats trust the media, uh, 14% of Republicans or conservatives trust the media. And I think the real telling point is 36% of independents trust the media. Um, and so when you have that, when you have just an outright, I, I may not hate the mainstream media, but I sure don't trust it. Then you're getting an adverse effect of, of what they're wanting. It's pretty obvious what they want. They want Trump out of office, but it's so obvious that that's the case that I think that is going to, to backfire on them just like it did in, uh, in the previous election. I think uh, we got a lot to figure out as people, but I really appreciate you coming out and doing the podcast, Dustin. I mean, I yeah. please promote your show too, man, because I think this is type of information. This is something that's needed, especially in the podcast era. I think we have a little bit too much of a focus on true crime and a lot of like getting high and talking about farts and COVID and orange juice and stuff. I'm like, let's. You got to have it though, man. You got to have that. 
it's fun, but after a while, you're like, Jesus, man, he's talking about another thing. Like, oh, he's talking about another movie review. I get it. Okay. I mean, it's the same thing with me. I'm having conversations with people. It gets old after a while, but this is something new. Um, at least for me, I've only seen a very, like I said, there are some out there, but a lot of them don't really focus on how it correlates to what's happening now. And I think that's important. A lot of them just spout off um, old history thing, which honestly, I thought that's what we were going to be doing. And I'm so happy it went this way. And I appreciate you for at least giving me your time to come on too. I know it was a random DM. Hey man, all good. And like I say, I apologize for the delayed response. Um, but yeah, thanks for having me on, brother. I really appreciate it. Uh, the name of the show is The Sons of History. Uh, so we have a weekly podcast. We're also on YouTube. Um, we sort of started off with a YouTube series based on the American Revolution. So we sort of, we would dress up as these historical figures and discuss what took place. Um, it's an ongoing series that is, you know, I think gonna come to its end. Um, and so that's, we're on, we're on YouTube. We're also on uh, Instagram, which is where you and I met uh, at the sons of history. Um, and so weekly podcast, every, every Monday morning at 6am, we release a new episode. What'd you, uh, you, what'd you say? You said, you said Monday? Monday? Yeah. Every Monday morning. Monday. Monday. I say Monday. Monday. Hey man, welcome to Texas. Every Monday morning. That's the Baltimore accent. You got to say Monday and then coming out on Tuesday. <laughs> You better believe it. Thank you. Thank you for uh, creating that correlation between you and I. Man. That's there great. you go. Um, so, yeah, every Monday morning at uh, 6 a.m., a uh, new episode comes out. We're right now we're commemorating the 75th anniversary of the end of World War II in Europe. Um, next week, we're actually going to have uh, Alex Kershaw on the show. He's a New York Times bestselling author. He's like the preeminent, preeminent author of World War II material. Um, and so, you know, it's just, we talk about a lot of just historical related, uh, topics and we try to tie it into today. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's good stuff. Fun stuff. I'll make sure to link everything in the description too. And I really appreciate you for coming out, Dustin. And thanks so much for listening to this episode of out of the blank podcast and stay tuned for our next episode.